Good morning, everyone. Let's uh, go ahead and get started. Let's pray. Father, we thank you very much for the day. We thank you for the uniqueness of this day, a day where we can celebrate in uh, very specific and clear ways the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we thank you that that is a truth that uh, changes us and motivates us and stays with us, not just today, but every single day of our lives, that that is uh, something that just is always a part of who we are, is that Jesus is alive. Uh, we do indeed walk with him and we talk with him. We listen to him. We follow him. And we're very thankful that because of the spirit of God that we can be in tune with the resurrected Savior. Father, as we gather together this morning, I pray that your spirit would do a mighty work as we meet in our classes, as the teachers share the truth of the Word of God, Father, I just pray that you would uh, just give us good ears, that you'd give us open hearts, and that the Word of God would take hold, and that we would stand upon it, and we would cherish it. Thank you for our time together now, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ in this unique, great chapter. Um, Throughout the building, we'll be in this chapter, um, talking about it in all of our different classes. Let me start off by reminding us of what our theme is and our connection and our application. The theme today is Christianity stands or falls with the resurrection of Jesus. The Christ connection is the resurrection of Jesus is not merely an odd event from the past. It represents the beginning of the new world God has promised. Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of the future resurrection of his people, the guarantee that God's kingdom will come fully to earth and the first nail in the coffin of death, which will one day be defeated forever. And the application that is God calls us to hold fast to the truth of Christ's resurrection and to proclaim the, this good news with great hope in Christ's return. Let me read to you something from the quarterly as part of the introduction that the quarterly does. It says this, the resurrection is essential to the gospel message because it, dis it displays God's vindication of the life and the work of Jesus Christ. If you believe in the resurrection, it forces you to reckon with the claim that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's something that we're going to talk about actually during the worship service, is the whole thing that if you believe in the resurrection, what's next? What's the deal? What, what, what does that do then? What does that require of us? Our quarterly simply says, if you believe in the resurrection, it forces you to reckon with the claim that Jesus is the Son of God. But if you deny the resurrection, you can continue in your rejection of Jesus. For this reason, the resurrection is one of the most important events in human history. It not only changed the course of history, but it also has the power to change a person's eternal destiny if it is believed. That indeed, there it is. What are you going to do with this thing? What are you going to do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ? There it is. How are we going to deal with that? What, what is going to go on in our lives with that? And, and that's an incredibly important thing. The essential doctrine that is talked about in the, court, in the lesson this week is uh, a pretty simple one to figure out. It is the resurrection. Um, that the resurrection is one of the essential doctrines that we need to cling to. We need to cherish it. And the quarterly says this, both the Old and the New Testaments teach that one day believers will experience a resurrection from the body uh, from the dead. A resurrection of the body from the dead. And we read about this pretty clearly in Isaiah. We read about it in Ezekiel. We read about it in Job. We read about it in the New Testament. 
It's not a brand new idea in the New Testament. Resurrection and the fact that, that, that we would live forever and that our bodies would be um, raised one day is not a new concept. The Old Testament teaches that um, in, in some interesting ways. But the reason why it's in your face in the New Testament is because because Christ was raised. That's exactly right, because there it is. It's no longer something that will happen down there that we have a hard time putting together, making sense of. There it is. Christ, look, he's alive. And that one day is going to happen to you also. The promise of the resurrection is found in the resurrection of Christ from the dead, and it will take place in the future return of Christ. And that's an important concept, too, that we need to make sure that we tie together, is that the resurrection of Christ and the return of Christ go together. Okay? Because he's alive, he has said, I'm going to come back and get you. Okay? I'm alive now, and so I'm going to get you. I'm going to bring you to where I am. And, uh, and so those two goes, go together. He, you know, the, one of the last things he said before he was ascended in heaven is that I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back, and, and I'm going to bring my people with me. So those two go together. Because Christ was the first fruits of the resurrection, Christians can be assured that their resurrection will be similar in nature, meaning, and it will be both bodily and glorious. First fruits, and we'll talk about that a little bit. First fruits, we see the first fruits of that. We see he's the example, and then all that follow will be like him. And because of that, we can know that the resurrection will be physical, and it'll be glorious. It'll be an amazing thing. And this is the great hope that we have, this wonderful, wonderful thing called the resurrection. Well, if you're not there already, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> We're going to work our way through this chapter this morning. And as you're turning there, let me read this to you again from our quarterly, because I thought this was a pretty interesting point that they made. Up to this point, in his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul has addressed several ongoing sins and struggles in the church. So he seems inclined to end by reminding them of the great antidote for all that ails them, the gospel. Okay, let me make sure you heard that. 1 Corinthians is a book about dealing with all that is ailing the church. It's, he's, he's dealing with problem after problem after problem. He's correcting them. He's instructing them. He's teaching them. He's helping them understand what church should look like. And then at the end of it, at the end of it, he reminds them of the great antidote. This is the answer to really what ails you. This is what you need to keep at the forefront. This is the main thing. And one of the problems that we have in Christianity, it's just a problem of life, is that we don't keep the main thing the main thing enough. And this is a good reminder. Okay, and Paul reminded them of that, all right? He begins with a high-altitude view of the vital content of the gospel, including Christ's resurrection. He says, I want to make clear to you after writing all of that that he wrote, this is chapter 15. After writing all of those words, he then says, I want to make clear to you something. Okay, make sure you understand this. These were believers. He made that clear at the beginning of the, of the book. I want to make sure you understand this thing, though. Make sure that you realize that the gospel is good not only to save you, but to sustain you, to sanctify you. It's that thing that you hold on to. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says this. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance 
what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of who remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. By, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. And so he goes through and he talks about the gospel and he talks about all the people that, that Jesus appeared to and then he talks about the fact that he appeared to me and then he goes into a little bit of who he is and, and the uniqueness of what um, has happened with him. <clears throat> a couple of things from our quarterly again, um, from just uh, the voices and, and some commentary in there, it says this, the gospel should impact us not just theologically but also practically. From our preaching to our parenting, the good news gives us the blueprint of how to function within those spheres in a way that glorifies Christ. Okay, let's go back to the beginning of this chapter here. It says this, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which also you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word that I preached to you. So, understand what Paul is saying, and understand what this person who wrote that is saying is that the gospel is that that, w that saves us, right? We all agree with that, right? Gospel saves us. The, the gospel, the truth that we're going to look at in just a minute, the gospel that Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was buried, he, he rose again on the third day. That's the thing we need to believe in order to be saved. But notice what Paul says this. I preach to you which also you received, in which also you stand. So when we say the gospel... We're talking about what we're going to look at right here, the death, the burial, the resurrection. But we also are talking about the message of Jesus Christ when we say the gospel, okay? The good news of Jesus Christ. It is, it is not just that we are saved and that's that. If that's all there was to it, if the gospel was only a saving issue, we would believe and be removed from this earth. The gospel is a transformational issue that works in our life to get us to where we need to be. It is that sanctification process. And the gospel is what does that as well. All right? Therein lies one of the problems that we have sometimes as Christians, and certainly in Christianity and with some churches, is that they may be okay with the gospel to save, but then they lose it when it comes to what, it is, what is it that sustains, what do you stand upon, and what do you grow with? What sanctifies you? We can kind of get lost sometimes in some of those things. And the Bible says it's the gospel. It's the gospel. So this is a pretty significant thing here that it's not just theological, but it's also practical. The gospel, that that we understand, that that changes us, that that does some amazing things for us, okay? And in practical terms, uh, Paul believed that the gospel was that thing, and because of the resurrection, he believed that those who died went to be with the Lord immediately after their death prior to the resurrection. He talks about that, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but he also believes in the believer's eternal existence in bodily form because of the resurrection. Okay? So the gospel is a pretty significant thing in the fact that it, 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 it extends but we want to take a couple of moments 
just to walk through this to make sure that we understand what is going on here. And, and I know that you know this problem, but let's go through this because this is an incredibly important thing. Okay? <clears throat> Look at what it says in verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, importance, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins. And I want you to notice the phrase that's in here in a couple times, according to the scriptures. Where do we get what we get? We get it from the Bible. Why did Christ die on the cross? Oh, what? Yeah, the Bible said he would. Why, why do you, okay, the scriptures, he, he died on the cross for what purpose then? Because the Bible said he would, but for what purpose? And this is important. For our sins. For our sins. And there are a lot of people within religious circles, we'll be careful whether they're Christians or not, who believe that Jesus died, but not for our sins. For our sins. Okay, it's our sins. One of the problems that we have in life today is this. I made a mistake. I morally fell. I was wrong. Whatever. When as Christians the issue is we sin. We miss the mark. God's perfection, God's standard, we miss the mark. Okay? That's an important distinction that we make till we understand that what we're talking about here. And Jesus Christ died for our sins. We missed the mark. We have an issue. And the reason why that's important is because the Bible says that sin is that that separates us from God. And so the Bible says that he died for our sins according to the scriptures. Okay? We understand that, that there is a right and a wrong, and when there's a wrong, it's called sin. David, when he came to grips with all that he did, he finally cried out, I have sinned, and I have sinned against you and you alone. Okay? We need to come to grips with that as well. And when we're dealing with somebody and helping them understand what salvation is all about, this is what we need to deal with. We need to deal with sin. Okay? This is the issue, is that Jesus Christ will give you a better life in a bunch of areas, and Jesus Christ will help you to deal with this, and he will help you in this area and that area, but he died for your sins. And that's an important distinction, okay? So the first thing it says is that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. The Bible lays it out. It says that he would die. It tells us how he died. It tells us that he died for our sins. It is indeed that, that, that substitutionary atonement. He died for our sins. He paid the price for me. He was my substitute. An incredibly important concept. We've talked about it before. It goes on to say in this verse, that he died for our sins according to scripture, verse 4, and that he was buried. Now, why is it significant that we understand, and why is it significant that Paul said he was buried? Because he actually died, and then we buried. That's exactly right. And then the second aspect of it is, you can't have a resurrection without the burial. Exactly right. We needed to make sure that this was all laid out this way. That he died, he was actually dead, and then he was buried, he, that's what you do with dead people, and that helped us understand then that he's alive. What happened? He was dead. He was buried. Now he's alive. And so we see that it's a, a, a in-your-face kind of a thing here, okay? So he died, excuse me, he, di he, he paid the price for our sins, and he was buried. He died and he was buried, okay? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. He had to die for our sins. Okay? And that's an important distinction there. All right? 
The next thing that it says in verse 4 is that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He was raised on the third day. Okay? And we read that uh, one of the, one of the, in the resurrection stories, it's, and this is the third day since he said those things. Okay? He was raised on the third day. Okay? He was raised. It's a, it was an actual event. It was a physical event. It happened. It was laid out. It was spelled out when it was going to happen and all that stuff. He was raised on the third day. He was actually, he was actually raised according to the scriptures. So, Here's, here's what's incredibly important about that, obviously, is that you have someone that's dead, and then you have somebody that's alive, and you have the power of God making the difference, right? Okay? Now, we understand that, that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that he was given life, and we know that that's an important thing, and we'll see this in a moment because it's the first fruits, and so we can believe that we are raised from the dead, and we are raised from the dead in a couple of ways. We are raised from the dead spiritually, and then, of course, physically, we will never die, okay? That, that death will not mean anything. So there's a, there's a spiritual and a physical deal here for us as well, all right? And it's an important thing that we understand that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then what Paul does, and we referred to this briefly this morning, and we've talked about it over and over again, is that he appeared to all these people. This is a historical event, okay? And Paul notes a handful of people that he appeared to and then there were 500 brethren all at once and he made sure that he appeared to these people so that he could he could make that great announcement that look i am alive i'm alive okay so this is the gospel and this the gospel matters he died on this died for our sins he was buried and he rose again on the third day and it's important when you quote these verses and when you say this, you throw in that phrase, according to the scriptures. I'm not making this up. When I'm saying this, I'm saying what I'm saying because this is what the Bible says. Okay, this is, this is what it is. This is what we stand in. This is how, we're, how we are saved. And this is what we stand in to this day still, is that this is the deal. Okay, that is the important thing of life. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. This is certainly the main thing, the gospel. All right. And uh, you cannot talk about the gospel too much. You just can't. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it's pretty important stuff. All right? So you guys know that. That's just kind of a review type thing. The next thing here as we go on is the importance of Christ's resurrection, which is found in verses 12 through 19 here. Again, the quarterly says this. Remember, the entirety of the Christian message hinges on the truth that Jesus was raised from the dead. If Jesus did not rise, we are still left in our sin. And the reason we're still left in our sin is even though he died on the cross for our sins and he was buried, if he didn't rise, what's the deal? He what? He wasn't sinless possibly. Okay, what else? Good. He wasn't who he claimed to be. And so the practical ramification of that is there's no salvation because he didn't conquer it. Okay, because what we have is he had, a, he had to make death a non-issue and the only way you can make death a non-issue is the resurrection is to say death doesn't have a power or the ability to hold me down right that's what had to happen right absolutely yeah absolutely it was a liar you betcha yep absolutely it absolutely would have been a lie and so we need to understand the practical ramifications of why that's important that he did do it. We needed to, death needed to be dealt with. 
Who had the power? And that was the answer because of the resurrection. It was only God. Because up to that point, it could have been a toss-up. Yeah, we understand God's powerful, but Satan's also powerful. What's the deal here? And the, the resurrection from the dead was the exclamation point, I have the power. Okay? Now he fulfilled all the scripture and all of that stuff and, and whatnot, but it was the, it, in practical terms it was, okay, I have the power. And because of that, the importance of that, as we're going to see here, is that that has huge ramifications for us in our life. So if Jesus didn't rise, we're still left in our sin. If Jesus did not rise, death has the last word. In this sense, our lives don't validate the gospel, but the gospel validates and transforms our lives. Of course it does. The gospel is what validates our lives. The gospel is what transforms our lives. That's exactly what it is, okay? So all of these things are, are vital, but the resurrection really kicks it in. Verse 12 says this. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And, of course, Paul just said, hey, all these people just saw him alive. We know he's alive. It's a historical fact. How is it that some of you are saying there's no resurrection from the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, well, then not even Christ has been raised. If there's no resurrection, period, you know, there is no, then Christ can't be alive. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. The whole thing's a sham if Christ is not alive. Moreover, he says, we are found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they've perished. Dead is dead, and you move on. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. And so the bottom line with all of this is he goes on and he says simply this, is that the resurrection is a real thing, and we understand it's a real thing, and if it's not a real thing, we have some serious issues, don't we? Some serious issues, okay? We're, 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 we're liars, and God's a liar, and our faith is worthless, and we haven't been rescued from our sins. That our, We put all of our eggs in this basket right now, and when we die, it doesn't matter because dead is dead, and, and there's no, no life, there's no anything after that if Christ has not been raised from the dead. The thing that Christ changes, the thing that Christ's resurrection gives us, the one word that we cling to is what? What's the word? What? That's the word. It's hope. It gives us hope. It's that hope, that confident expectation of something else. That's hope. And that's what his resurrection gives us, okay? If Christ didn't raise from the dead, then none of this matters. None of this works because death had the last say. And Satan was more powerful than God, and we know that that is not the case, all right? So he just has, he's just doing this article, an argument of saying, how can you say there's no resurrection? Of course there's a resurrection. If there's not a resurrection, this is what goes on. And what we're learning here with his argument is this, that if there is no resurrection, there's a whole bunch of dominoes that fall. Okay? There's a lot of things that go on in our life that we can trace back to the fact that Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead. That's what Paul's argument is in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 here. And so it's important that we understand this, all right? That his argument is... This thing um, starts a lot of things that we need to hold on to. All right? Well, let's keep reading. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. 
As in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in its own order. Now let's pause here for a moment. Paul goes into this argument more in Romans, and I know that you're probably familiar with that, the whole idea that there is a head, there's a federal head, and Adam was that, and Christ is that. And in Adam, all sinned. In Christ, he's the representative, he's the federal head of that. In Christ, those who believe can be made alive. One man brought death into the world, one man brings life into the world. Okay? And that's what he is saying here, and that was a very acceptable thing. Sometimes we struggle with that because we are so individualistic-minded uh, in our society. But that was a very common thing down through history, and cer certainly in this day and age a very common thing. It was acceptable that, yeah, that man represented all of us. And we say, wait a sec, wait a sec, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Adam represented all of us? How is that? Adam did, and, and here's the deal, because had you been in Adam's shoes, you would have done the same thing. This is not a, not a mystery here. We would have done the same thing. All right? It just happened to be Adam who was that person that was the first one that represented. Everybody would have done the same thing. There's absolutely no doubt about that. So he says, here's the deal. For by one man death came in, also by one man resurrection came in. All right? Then he says this. Everybody will be made alive by Christ, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, and after those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he who is expected, he is expected who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to himself, so that God may be all in all. Okay, so there's a lot of stuff going on there, but in effect, what's happening is simply this. Is that, is that Christ is the one that was raised to the from the dead first, okay? And it says that. He's the first fruits. He set the stage. Other people will be raised from the dead also. It says, after those who are at Christ that is coming, when Christ comes back and he raises everybody from the dead, we're talking about the physical body being reunited with the soul. That's what we talk about when we talk about resurrection. That happens when he comes back. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority. And so what happens is he's talking about, there's a little bit of, 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 of teaching about the end times here, is that Christ will come back and he will reign, but then there will be this process that goes on when all rule and authority and power needs to be dealt with, when all the enemies need to be dealt with, and the last enemy that needs to be dealt with is death. And Revelation says that Satan and death will be thrown into the lake of fire. Okay? It says that it will be dealt with one day. All of that stuff will be dealt with. But there's an order to how it's going to be dealt with. And one of the things that goes on in Christianity, isn't it, is that we get frustrated with life sometimes, don't we? Understand that the Bible, from the very beginning to the very end, says there's an order to things. And things will be dealt with in its time. So be patient and understand that there's a process here, and God is working things out, and everything will be dealt with all at the end. Because wouldn't it have been nice when Jesus Christ raised from the dead, he would have at that moment dealt with the, that enemy called death. Let's abolish death. Now that I've established that resurrection is the way it is, now that I've established that I have power over death, let's deal with death and let's move on. God didn't do that, did he? Instead, what we do is we're introduced to the church, which is all about the glory of Jesus Christ. 
We're introduced to the Holy Spirit living inside of believers, which is all about the glory of God. We're introduced into what he's going to do in the end times when he declares to the nations and all those people that have been rebelling against him, I am God, and I will declare that I am God, and I'm going to do all of these things in order for you to understand that I am God, and I'm going to go through the process of creating all, of, of establishing all of that, and I'm going to destroy the earth as you know it, and I'm going to destroy the creation that you've known all your life, and I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and then I'm going to have this judgment, and there's going to be the great white throne judgment where those unsaved will be, and then there'll be the behemacy of Christ where those who are saved will be, and then all of those that are God's enemies will be done, done away with and dealt with in a proper way, and they will spend eternity apart from God, and finally, death will be dealt with, and there will be no more. And so what he is saying is there's an order for all of these things, and it'll all take place, and God will do it, and he'll put all of these things in subjection, so hang in there, and he wanted us to understand that the guarantee of your resurrection is the fact that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, and here's the plan. And he gives us just a little bit of the glimpse of the plan in this section of scripture. Okay? So one of the things that we can learn from this is, believer, be patient. God's at work. I wish that things work differently, and I bet you wish that things work differently. I want God to do certain things at times. Imagine you want God to do certain things at certain times. But God says, here's how this is going to work. Here's how this is going to work. There, you know, and, and there are times that we, we say, well, I'm, I'm frustrated with life. And, you know, and, and, or we know people who are struggling with things. And, Lord, just take them home, and, and, and they want to be with you. And God says, you know what, there's a plan here. And my glory needs to be seen in the process process is incredibly important as believers. The process. Going through what needs to happen. Alright? Does it always make sense to us? It does not. What does make sense to us is that God says I'm in charge and I have a plan and I want you to walk and I want you to do your thing. Okay? And we can never get caught up with the fact, we mentioned this just briefly this morning at the sunrise service, we can never get caught up with the fact that we look around and we say, well, there's the f a futility of life. We can't do that. And the reason we can't do that is because we understand that there's a plan. There's not a futility of life because God has a plan. And he's let us know what the plan is. He said, here, here it is. This is the process. Now, you might be frustrated with the plan, and that's something you and God have to work out. But you can't throw up your hands and say there's a futility of life because I don't get it. Well, open up the Bible and read it and you'll get it. And now you'll know here's the plan. And now you need to submit to God in his plan. Okay? And that's what needs to happen. And that's what he is saying here in, in, in this thing. Let's keep reading. We're going to go through this whole chapter here. So, the next part of it is a logical argument that Paul does. He says, otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead if the dead are not raised? Why then are they baptized for them? And, and so this is a, one of those verses that those, uh, a false religion has grabbed and said, look, see, the Bible says you should baptize people for the dead. And that's not what Paul is saying at all. Paul is saying that there is a resurrection. There is um, a, a, a conqueror who has dealt with, with death and all of that, and the resurrection is true. And then he says, if the resurrection is not true, then why would those people who understand that there's a why would they baptize for the dead then if there's not a resurrection? Okay? Now, he's not condoning baptizing for the dead. What he's saying is, even in their false belief, they believe that there is a resurrection. That's what he's saying. Okay? 
And he says, why, why would they do that then? Why are we also in danger every hour? I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in which you have, I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me if the dead are not raised? Well, then let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. He goes on and he says, so become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. In effect, what he is saying in verses 29 through 34 is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us practical, real, live, important reasons for living and living properly. Okay? He says, why in the world would I go ahead and deal with all the things I've had to deal with if the resurrection's not true? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. He says, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Careful. Live the way you need to live. Embrace who you need to embrace. Why? Because the resurrection is true. You can't just throw up your hands and say, ah, I'm just going to live any way I want because there's no consequences, because there's no tomorrow, because none of this matters. No, hold on. All of it matters. Because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. That's what he is saying. Because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Okay, so honestly, you can do that. Why in the world should I do A? Why should I obey God? Because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Why should I obey him today? Because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Why should I live this way today? Because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. We can, we can apply that to it. Why should I treat my spouse properly? Because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Why should I honor my parents? Because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. Why should I obey the law? Because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. I should do what it is that I'm supposed to do biblically because Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and I have hope and I have a God who lives inside of me. That's why. The, the resurrection from Jesus Christ transforms into an incredibly practical part of life. And that's what Paul is saying here as he's trying to help everybody understand that this is an important thing to, to embrace. Verse 34, become sober-minded as you ought. Stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. In other words, you guys are living in such a way that they don't understand that God makes lives different. That's what he's saying. They don't have a knowledge of God. The reason they don't have a knowledge of God is because they've been watching you and hanging out with you, and they don't see in you anything that's different. Now, doesn't, isn't that a condemnation against many of us in our lives today? They don't understand that there's a God. They don't understand that a resurrected Jesus makes a difference, okay? And it's important that we live our lives in such a way that people understand that a resurrected Jesus makes a difference. And we need to share that with people. Well, let's go on to the next. He goes on and continues to explain this to us in verses 35 through uh, 49, a larger section. But some will say, how are the dead raised, and with what kind of body do they come? That's a good question. How does this work, Paul? You fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow of uh, the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is a flesh of men, another of beasts, another of birds, another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another of the stars. The stars differ from stars in glory. So wh what he's saying is that everything has its place and everything has its order and everything's been created in such a way. But the thing that he starts saying is in, in verses 35, 36, and 37 is that in order to um, be a part of the resurrection from the dead, what has to happen? You've got to die. You've got you to die. 
Okay, and, and he uses the example of the seed is dead and it goes in the ground and then it, it, it transforms, it dies, and it becomes a plant. Okay, that's what he's doing. He's, he's saying you've got to die. Okay, that, that, that how, does this trans, how does this resurrection take place? Well, the way that God has set up for us, again, his plan, the way that God has set up for us in order to go and be with him forever and, and, and to, to no longer have the issues that we have is a process called death. Is it very fun? No, it's really hard sometimes. It's incredibly laborious. It's, it's, it's incredibly difficult sometimes. Death is a hard process on occasion. And he has said that this is the process whereby we go from here to there that resurrection matters. Okay? And he goes on to that a little bit more in these next verses here. He says in verse 42, So also the resurrection of the dead, it is sown a perishable body, it is raised imperishable. It is sown dishonored, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Okay, so what he is saying in all of this is what? If we are going to live with the resurrected Jesus, what happens has to happen to us? We got to die to sin and we need to be resurrected, changed. That's exactly right. We need to deal with this perishable body. We need to deal with this dishonorable. We need to be, deal with this natural. And, and the way that that's all changed is through Christ. That's exactly right. It's through Christ. And the picture that we have of being changed in Christ is that we die to sin. Okay? That's exactly what it is. We die to sin. Okay? The picture that we had with the baptism a couple weeks ago. We died to sin and were raised to new life. That's exactly what he's talking about here. And so there's a process for all of this to happen. There has to be this death. And for the, us to, to eventually be with him, there has to be this death. Verse 45, so it is also written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last man, Adam, a life-giving spirit. No, that's a cool phrase, isn't it? So the first one, Adam was all about what? Simple, basic life. The second one was all about eternal, spiritual life. Exactly right. Okay? Spiritual, eternal, everlasting life. Alright, so there's Adam, and the first Adam and the second Adam. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. Yeah, that's how that works. We're natural first, and then spiritual. That's how that works. That's, we understand that. It's laid out that way. The first man is from the earth, earthly. The second man is from heaven. As the earthly, so are those who are earthly. And as is the heavenly, so are those that are heavenly. Oh, so here's an interesting thing. So, because you're born like Adam... And Adam's from the earth, you're kind of from the earth, and so you're kind of earthly yourself. But then when that transformation takes place, and you're given that new life, and you're redeemed, you then become heavenly. Heavenly minded. Heavenly approach. Different view of life. And so he's, he's contrasting the two constantly. And he says in verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. And so he is, he is saying that this whole thing of resurrection is way bigger than just Jesus Christ being resurrected from the dead. Look what it does for us and look at the process of how it takes place. That's his argument here in chapter 15. All right? And then he goes on to verse 15 
and, and we have the victory and the mystery and the remarkable awesomeness of the resurrection. Now this I say, brethren, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It can't happen in this state. It can't happen in this state. Why? Because of what? Sin. Sin. We, it can't happen in this state. There has to be a, a, a transformation. Okay? Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. It doesn't work that way. There has to be this unique change. And then he says this, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on imperishable and this mortal would have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written. And so he says there will be a moment when that change will take place dramatically. Well, and he's talking about that they're well, all asleep. He's talking about the physical resurrection. He's talking about the trumpet. He's talking about when he comes to get his church. And he's talking about when the dead in Christ are raised, as he talks about in 1 Thessalonians. And, and at that moment, in a remarkable way, those bodies will be changed. And our bodies will be like Christ, the resurrected Christ's. Exactly right. So when we die, are we in the presence of Jesus? Yes. Thank you. That was a good answer. Did you all listen to that? Did you hear the answer? Okay. When we die, will we be in the presence of Jesus? <laughs> okay. Are, are, do we think we'll be in the presence? Do we hope we'll be in the presence of Jesus? Okay. The Bible says when we die, we will be in the presence of Jesus. Is that correct? Yes. yes. Very good. Thank you very much. In what form does that take place? Spiritual, it's our, it's our soul. It's who makes you, you. Those people that are with Jesus Christ, who we've attended funerals with, and we've put their body in a casket, we've put that under the ground, their body is still there, there with Jesus, and th what we call their soul, that that makes you, you, is with Jesus. What does that look like? I have no clue. Absolutely no understanding, no clue at all. I can't, I can't give you any explanation at all. I just know that you will be with Jesus in your soul, whatever that is. Okay? I don't, I don't know. And I'm not concerned about that. God's able to make that happen. There then will be a day when the dead in Christ, that's those who have died that we've known. If you die tomorrow, that's you. The dead in Christ, their bodies, wherever they are, whether they've been burned, whether they've been crushed, whether they've been... And in the water, or whether they've been buried in a cask, I don't care what has happened to them, your bodies then will be raised from wherever it is right now, and it will be changed instantly. And your soul and your new body will be joined, and you'll be forever with the Lord. That's what the resurrection does for us. That's a pretty cool thing, right? And that's what he is saying is going on. The perishable and the imperishable and all of that is going on. And when that happens, then this saying that we cling to today will come to pass. This saying will be the norm. And at that point, the norm will be death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? And, of course, we cling to that right now. I think I said it a couple weeks ago in my sermon that, that after, after this happened, when, when, when all of this happened, after the resurrection, 
when, when the question was asked of Satan, so what do you got now, Satan? And he was silent. Because once Jesus was raised from the dead, he had nothing left. Nothing. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? So as sad as it is, as heartbreaking as it is, as incredibly life-changing as it is, to say goodbye to a loved one who knows Jesus, that is the process whereby they go from here to there. Okay? And we need to remember that. It's hard in the midst of that sorrow, but that's what we need to remember. That's the process. Okay? And, 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 and that's, that's, what we need to, that's what we need to understand. Okay? Is that's the process. And, and we get to say, you know what? It's okay because there's no, there's no sting in death. Because I understand that death is that avenue whereby I go from here to there. And until, unless our Lord returns, that's the only avenue we have. Right? That's it. That, that's the one. Okay? That's, that's it. And so what we need to understand is this, and, and this is an important thing in this day and age of, of medical, phenomenal, remarkable, amazing technology, is there's a lot of things that are worse than death for the believer. A lot. Because death is that process whereby we go from here to there. Okay? And he says, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where's your sting? Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is a law, but that's gone because of what Jesus Christ has done. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we looked at this verse this morning along with the verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and... Uh, and, and those two verses say this. This one says this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. At the end of 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. So here's my question for you. Paul ends this chapter by saying, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Why? Because he rose from the grave. That's the answer. Why should I be steadfast? Why should I be immovable? Why should I always abound in the work of the Lord? Why should I, with confidence, knowing that my toil is not in vain in the Lord? Because he is risen from the dead. That's why. So instead of greeting each other once a year with he is risen, maybe we should start every Sunday morning with that. He is risen. Father, thank you very much for the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. And because of that, we have great power. We have great ability. We have a reason to go on that our work is not in vain. And that because of that, we, we can stand firm. We can abound. We can be steadfast. We can be firm. And we have words to encourage one another with. And those words are, he's alive. And life matters. And death is a transition. And it's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, I just pray that we would understand this argument that Paul has laid out and it would make sense to us and we would grasp it and that we would leave this place understanding that this matters. Not just once a year. This matters. Practically, theologically, and it matters in a real way every single day. Father, 
just help us understand that. We pray in Jesus' name.